0: welcome one and all to the indian wisdom podcast i'm your host dr raj balkaran founder of the indian wisdom school more importantly you you are looking for profound accessible authentic inspired indian wisdom teachings maybe you're a lifelong learner a seeker of sorts a yoga practitioner an indophile perhaps a student of indic wisdom traditions yourself in either case, you are looking for, you are looking to access wisdom teachings from a living lineage, a lineage which lives and has been kept alive through impactful exchanges from student to teacher for years, for generations, for centuries, from antiquity until today. You have found it. You have access to such a living wisdom tradition through this podcast. You will learn ancient Indian wisdom teachings, but more importantly, you will learn their relevance, their significance, their import, their utility. You will learn what they have to do with you and understanding yourself, understanding your life, navigating your life. Think of the teachings availed through this podcast as lenses through which to view the world and bring into focus patterns in your life, people, places, things, events, the ripening of karma, perhaps. Yes, this podcast will feature transmissions for myself. It will feature interviews and conversations with brilliant luminaries in various Indian wisdom traditions. It'll feature stories galore tales of kings and sages and heroes and gods and you name it. It'll feature live tutorials where students of mine will get to ask questions live and you get to listen in. So a little bit more about me, perhaps. As I mentioned, (laughs) I belong to a living wisdom tradition. I apprenticed with a, a master for 12 years. I studied with a number of traditional Indian wisdom teachers. but One master in particular, he was sort of an urban cave dweller, if you will, holder of an ancient esoteric tantric tradition, actually. We'll talk more about what tantra means, perhaps, in another episode. Nevertheless, he was a a great alchemist, a walking occult power, and a knower of a great many things. His name was Mantri, Mantriji we called him. Um, In addition to apprenticing with him, uh, apparently I have a few degrees in religious studies, Hindu studies. I have a BA, an MA, a PhD in in religion, specifically uh, in Hinduism, specifically in Sanskrit texts, Sanskrit narrative texts. I study the ancient tales of old in Sanskrit, the epics and the Puranas, and I make sense of them. As a scholar, I draw on them as a practitioner and a storyteller and a teacher as well. Why is this relevant? Because it is through the attentive engagement and guidance of other individuals, the watching of life, and making sense of people, it is through this living, lived experience, whereby I can put together the relevance of the teachings in these ancient texts and traditions. I see them. I see these principles as they are activated in people's lives. And so, to my mind, the relevance of ancient Indic thought, concepts, philosophies, theologies, spiritualities, narratives, the relevance is palpable. And all this will be synergized in order to render this wisdom accessible, presented in an authentic way illumined, perhaps even inspired manner. What on earth do I mean about Indian wisdom? Indian, i.e. the modern nation-state? Well, perhaps, but much, much deeper and broader than any sort of nationalism. I mean, civilizational India, Bharata, Indic, if you will, Uh, all things pertaining to that soil, perhaps that sacred soil that is bounded by the Bay of Bengal and the Arabian Sea, indeed the Indian Ocean to the south and bounded and capped by the Himalayan Mountains to the north and accessible through the northwest via the Indus River. It's a great ancient civilization called the Indus Valley Civilization. We'll talk about that in due course. But this, this sort of Feel this field bounded by mountain and water, rather insular in a sense, wherein ideas have been percolating uh, for millennia, ideas from various spaces and places. But Indic, in terms of civilizational, cultural, South Asia, if you will. Uh, A great analog is Egypt, not necessarily the modern nation state of Egypt, but civilizational, historical, cultural Egypt. Another analog is the difference between Iran, the modern nation state, and Persia, the civilization, the soil, the heart and soul of a culture. So this is what we mean by Indian. And wisdom traditions from India, including philosophies, theology, spiritualities, various concepts, some of which you may be well acquainted with, and some of which may be new, but all of them will pertain to you and the ways in which you walk the earth and the ways in which you comprehend and interpret what you see <laughs> while walking this earth near and far. Oh. Well, where shall we begin? Well, perhaps we will begin with a story about beginnings. That might be a wise place to begin an Indian wisdom podcast. Well, once upon a time, the ancient Brahman sages, ancient seer sages, priests, you can say, the Brahmanas, they were performing a Vedic Fire ritual in ancient ancient Vedic times, the mode of religiosity was gathering around a sacred fire, intoning in powerful, uh, uh, scrupulous Sanskrit with scrupulous care, intoned. In Sanskrit were the mantras of old, as offerings were made into the sacred fire. And this was performed as a means whereby to commune with the divine, Agni, the fire god, the messenger, the gateway between the mundane realm with which we're all familiar, and there are those who walk the earth who believe the mundane, the material, is all that there is. They are indeed materialists. But you are listening to this podcast because you know the world is more than meets the eye that there are realities and forces at play that transcend what can be stringently measured. And so too knew the ancient Vedic rishis, the seers, the Vedic priests, if you will. And they were performing the sacrifice, making offerings into the sacred fire, uttering mantras in order to capture the attention of the great god Shiva. Shiva, seated in a padmasana, in a lotus posture, In the Himalayas, Shiva, the great primordial yogi, covered in ash. Shiva, clad in a tiger skin. Shiva, upon whose head descended the Ganges. That is a tale for another day. A fascinating tale indeed. Shiva, around whose neck lay the cobra, his adornment. The great and powerful yogi, the ascetic mountain man Shiva, deep in cosmic meditation upon the Himalayan peaks. That is whom they were beseeching through their rituals. Now, Shiva was at one with the one. Yes, he was in his meditative state where he was at one with the cosmic consciousness pervading the cosmos. You know, we often have this quandary of consciousness. What is consciousness? The hard problem of consciousness, indeed. There's so much to be said about consciousness, some of which new and some of which very, very, very old. The ancients believed that consciousness pervaded existence. It was not localized in the brain. It was as if the brain or the soul or the heart or the human was an antenna whereby we connect with a conscious field that is the undergirding of the universe itself, as if time-space unfolds in the substance, in the substratum of consciousness itself. So if consciousness is that whereby we know everything, everything we know, we know because of the medium of consciousness, we are conscious of X, Y, Z, P, Q. Perhaps that is in part why it is so difficult to make consciousness an object of our consciousness and learn what consciousness is. Consciousness is that whereby we know everything else. Perhaps this is partially why it's such a quandary in modern times, particularly through a stringently materialistic, or perhaps even reductionistic model. But Shiva was one with the cosmic consciousness, meditating in deep trance. And he received a psychic ping, incoming mail, (laughs) he received a message from the Vedic sacrifice of the priests below. And their sankalpa, their intention, was to know something. And knowledge is a noble enterprise. And they wish to know something great. They wish to know who among the gods, the deities pervading the Vedic skies, these manifestations of divinity, each with its purpose, each with its aim, each with its utility. Who among the divinities should we worship first? Now Shiva was taken with this question because it evinced great wisdom. They were concerned with what comes first. Of course, our thing begins may well color the thing itself and its duration. We have these wondrous expressions in English such as I got up on the wrong side of the bed today. We got off on the wrong foot. There are those who may look to the heavens at the moment of birth and cast a chart, as so many cultures have. And from that first moment, from that first breath, and the omenology of the sky innate in the birth chart, perhaps they can divine insight, perhaps, perhaps, into the duration of that life. And so, the inception of a thing is extremely important. How one begins will often dictate or color or impact the success of the enterprise. And so they wish to know who should be first among the gods. And Shiva, quite fond of his rather reclusive, you know, meditative <laughs> ways, of holding the world at arm's length at times, he was so taken by the the importance of this questioning that he decided to interrupt his cosmic trance and he toggled from being one with the one being one with the self the field of consciousness to which we all belong and according to strands of Indic thought which we ultimately are the self the conscious self that we all share so he toggled away from being one with the one and resumed his individuated form his personal consciousness his individual consciousness and with it he stretched as the mountains rumbled as he awoke from his glorious trance and thought to himself now an individual deity hmm i rather miss my spouse my Consort, my partner, the lovely and beautiful and patient Parvati. Patient, why? Well, Shiva, really, he's off. You think it is quite difficult when your partner doesn't text you back in an hour or two or an afternoon? Imagine 10,000 years. The great and patient, beloved Parvati. (laughs) Shiva thought to himself, you know, he really wanted to see Parvati and their children. And perhaps he could use some help to sort out this query on behalf of the Brahmins of Earth. And so Shiva descended upon his mountainous abode and the beautiful, charming, gracious goddess was delighted to see her partner, her spouse, her beloved. Delighted indeed, they embraced the cosmic embrace and caught up in the twinkling of an eye. And then Shiva declared to the goddess, "He issue at hand the purpose for his arrival for interrupting his cosmic trance. She did notice he was a couple thousand years earlier than, than expected, but nevertheless, she was delighted to see him. <laughs> and so Parvati, with a mysterious twinkling in her eye, said to Shiva, "Well, oh, great Shiva, you are the lord of Yogis." You are this primordial deity of deities. Should it not be you who are first and foremost among the gods? And Shiva rather scoffed at the idea. He said to the beloved poverty, do you have any idea how many rituals they do in Bharata in India? And one day they'll be doing them all over the world? Ah, You know, I just need my space. You know what I'm like. I don't really want to get so involved. I mean, I'll do my fair share of blessing, no doubt, but Really, it should be someone else in poverty. He said, okay, what about one of our sons? Of course, they had two sons. They had the elephant-headed Ganesha as one son, and then they had the proud peacock-riding Kartikeya as another son. Ganesha was slow and studious and thoughtful and sweet. Kartikeya was swift and brave and proud. As he, as he rode upon his peacock. He was indeed the general of the army of the gods, a cosmic jock indeed. Now, Arvati said to Shiva, perhaps it should be one of our sons. And Shiva said, yes, yes, amazing. I like that idea, darling. One of our sons indeed. But who? Perhaps, my dear, they should earn it. Yes, let them earn it. But how? Perhaps a contest. Okay, a contest. But what kind of contest? Poverty. Perhaps a race. Okay, let them race. But race around what? How about around the world? Declared the goddess. Yes, indeed. Let them race. Let them race around the world. And he who first encircles the world shall be first among the gods. You are as wise as you are beautiful. My dear, beloved poverty, let us summon the boys and declare the task at hand. And so they called forth Ganesha. They called forth Kartikeya. Very different in temperament. And beyond their temperaments, they each had a vehicle, a Vahana. Now the Vahanas, really they're mythologized as actual vehicles upon which the deities you fly through the sky, for example, in the case of Kartikeya on his peacock, or perhaps the great Durga rides upon her line in battle. But in many ways, the de- the Vahanas are symbols. They're totem animals, if you were. There's profound symbology encoded in the Vahanas. Yes. It's just the stuff you don't read in the textbooks. <laughs> so Kartikeya is astride his, his peacock. He's proud. He's swift. He's fast. It makes sense. Ganesha is astride mushika, a mouse. Now, if you think it's an outlandish idea that an elephant-headed deity should be astride a mouse, well, indeed it is, if you take it literally. But it is figurative. You see... The mouse represents the rat race in the mind, the part of self the ancients call the manas, the the social, emotional, impulsive, habitual mind. We fancy ourselves rational creatures, but for the vast majority of us, for the vast majority of time, (laughs) reason is tied up in the trunk perhaps in the back seat, and the manas is at the wheel in the rat race of life. Yes? This is what the mouse represents. Here and there. The incessant flow of thoughts and emotions in the mind. Ganesha represents what the ancients called the buddhi, the faculty of reason. Those among us who are rational for whatever period of time, what that means is that The buddhi, the faculty of discernment, is at the wheel and can disambiguate and discern. Ganesha atop this mouse is a glorious symbol, an emblem, a mythologization of the power of the buddhi to ground and surmount the whims of the incessantly changing manas. And so, both of these sons of Shiva and Parvati, Kartikeya and Ganesha, listened intently as they were invited to participate in this race. They were instructed to race around the world in order to decide who among them should be first among the gods. And so, Shiva said, perhaps in Sanskrit, On your mark! Get set. Gotcha. For Sanskrit nerds among you, that's a second person singular imperative of to Go. (laughs) On your mark. Get set. Gotcha. Go. And Kartikeya, swift and proud, upon his peacock, was off into the horizon, a blaze of blue smoke left in his wake. And Shiva was amazed, and Parvati was amazed, and Ganesha is co-born, and co-racer was equally amazed. Ganesha thought to himself, wow, I knew my brother was quick, but my goodness, he's over the horizon in the blinking of an eye. Ganesha thought to himself, indeed, the Holy Mother, the Goddess Divine, has favored one of her sons upon this day because she has chosen this mechanism, this medium, this enterprise to ascertain the victor. And this mechanism, this medium, this enterprise, this means it's not conducive to one who's slow and thoughtful, such as myself. But nevertheless... I have read the Bhagavad Gita. I've received wisdom traditions, wisdom teachings from the Bhagavad Gita, taught Ganesha. I've watched some really great YouTube videos on the Bhagavad Gita. And I know that there is deep and profound wisdom in embracing your duty and not worrying about the outcome. You must do your duty. You, have a, you, you must perform your duty, your dharma, and leave the rest In the hands of the unseen, in the hands of the divine, in the hands of circumstance. So Ganesha knew he couldn't do nothing. He must do something. But do what? So he sought inspiration. Did he seek inspiration from the outer world? No, he sought inspiration from the inner world. He closed his eyes and meditated and connected with the field, with the cosmic Wi-Fi. (laughs) He had a very powerful router indeed. And he downloaded a flash of inspiration. Where there's inspiration, there's no anxiety. Where there's anxiety, there is no inspiration. And inspired, he arose. He looked at his parents, Shiva and poverty. Shiva on the right, poverty on the left. Peaceful, resplendent. As if two halves of the same whole. And he approached them with reverence as not just mother and father of he and Kartikeya, but as mother and father of the world. And he reverently circumambulated them, encircled them with great reverence, pradakshina is a Sanskrit term, he performed pradakshina, circumambulation. He went around them once and smiled, and went around them twice and smiled even more deeply. And went around them three times and could barely and could barely contain his glee his joy and he sat peaceful and joyous indeed and, and swoosh and huffing and puffing the peace was pierced by the return of the peacock bear and kartikeya they had returned victorious the valiant And proud Kartikeya, huffing and puffing, adrenaline galore. I won, I won, I won. I'm first and foremost among the gods. I can't wait to take a selfie and post this on my LinkedIn profile. And Shiva smiled. And Parvati smiled. And Ganesha smiled. And Shiva said, okay, my boy. Let's crown you so I can get back to my sadhana, to my practice, to my meditation. (laughs) And the beautiful and mysterious goddess looked over to Shiva and said, indeed, we will crown Kartikeya, not a problem. Should we not check in with Ganesha? After all, do we not have two children, my dear? And Shiva, slightly embarrassed, acquiesced and said, yes, of course. I mean, you... You're so amazing at this whole relationships thing. You have so much emotional intelligence, my dear. I mean, incredible. Yes, of course. Let's check in with Ganesha. And then we'll crown Kartikeya, and then I'll be off. All right, said the goddess. Then go check in with Ganesha. And then you can crown the victor, and then you can be off. So, Shiva said to Ganesha, Ganesha, my dear boy. You're always so obedient. You always do your duty. Why have you not? Raced around the world as asked. Ganesha smiled. He opened his eyes and he said to Shiva, Well, it was clear to me the goddess has favored one of her sons upon this day and I was okay with it. I'm not upset. I'm not attached. I know these things are very important to Kartikeya. This is where he shines in athleticism and demonstrations of swiftness and skill and strength. And as you well know, Father, I'm of a different temperament indeed, perhaps even antithetical. He is outer looking, first in me, perhaps more inner looking. But I sought inspiration because I knew I needed to complete the task in my own way, if even. An inspiration struck. And rather than go around the world, I went around you both, you who are my world. And upon my first circumambulation, I noticed that you, Father Yushiva, you great yogi, you great seeker, you great seer, that you are one with the one, you represent the aspect of self that is connected to the cosmic Wi-Fi, indeed the Wi-Fi itself that pervades all creation your chitta your cosmic consciousness and then i went around you both a second time and i saw that you mother in all your glory you are the name and form which governs creation you are the dance of galaxies and stars and planets you are the sun and moon the earth and the heavens you are the mystery of separation whereby we experience multiplicity you are the many And then I went around you a third time and I was utterly inebriated with the revelation that Shiva is Parvati, Parvati is Shiva, that consciousness is matter and matter is consciousness. The one is many and many are one. They are both true, locked in this divine paradoxical mystery. You two sides of the same coin, and I learned that you are me and I am you and we're all many and we're all one. And oh I I I happily forfeit this crown. Please, Father, please move on. You're killing my buzz. <laughs> and Shiva smiled, proud of both his sons. And Parvati smiled, proud of both her sons. And Kartikeya frowned, slumped over, dejected. And Shiva said to Kartikeya, okay, my boy, arise and receive your crown. And Kartikeya, his his peacock plucked as it were, (laughs) slumped over, said, father, I cannot. And Shiva said, well, what do you mean you cannot? You won, you won fair and square. Let us award you your prize. You cannot make a liar of the goddess of your mother. And Kartikeya says, The goddess speaks in mysterious ways. The wise know this. One never knows (laughs) what is meant and what is said. And so she has declared that he who first encircles the world shall be first among the gods i encircle this material decaying world this objective material world before our eyes even the mountains will decay the oceans themselves will one day evaporate and at the end of the age you will dance your dance of destruction and dissolve all things again into the primordial ocean and there'll be another creation and another and another and another as it has been forever for the universe is beginningless and endless and all that appears to exist is the incessant shape-shifting is this giving us the appearance of reality but all that can be perceived in the outer world isn't really truly real it it is bereft of permanence Only life everlasting is permanent and real. That which we access through the inner life subjectively. And Ganesha was able to encircle the everlasting world. And it is clear who has won this race. And Kartikeya smiled. And Shiva smiled. And Poverty smiled. And Ganesha smiled. And Shiva said, all right, Tathastu, so be it. Arise, Ganesha. Shiva declared that from this day until the end of days when I dance destruction upon the earth and all things are dissolved into the primordial ocean, from this day until the end of days, May you be first and foremost among the gods in every temple, at every festival, at every shrine, at every ritual. Let no blessing descend from any other divinity, lest you bless them first. For you, my son, are the Lord of wisdom, and you are with whom they need to begin. For what enterprise can succeed unless it begins on wise footing? Success will be theirs as long as they worship you first. And this is a story of beginnings. And this is a story of wisdom. And this is a story of the wisdom of beginnings. Indeed, this story was rendered, actually, as the first of 50 stories in a publication called The Stories Behind the Poses it might be quite useful for those interested in connecting the ancient Indic stories with yoga postures. We'll talk more about about that another day. I mentioned the book just so that I may perhaps read the gloss. Each story has a tiny paragraph of a gloss at the end, whereby we may call to mind some of the innate covert themes of wisdom within the tale. Here it is. The wisdom of Ganesha resides in taking the time to calmly look inside before rushing headlong into action. Though it may seem difficult to find time for meditation and yoga practice, indeed for wisdom, amidst the busyness of our lives, this story shows us why it must nonetheless be pursued. The physical practice of yoga is ultimately an exercise in the embodiment of the divine interplay of Shiva and Parvati, masculine and feminine, for all of us a way for us to inhabit the body that affords us the insight into the relationship between these cosmic principles. When you sit in sadasana, contemplate the wisdom of Ganesha and remember the divine play that lies at the heart of your own being. That's the end of the quote from the stories behind the poses, but that divine play pertains to the inner and the outer, spiritual and the material. If you're listening to this podcast, then you are in the world, but you are not of the world. You are navigating reality in a pragmatic and sensible way, steering clear of dogma, delusion, and bypassing. But nevertheless, you are seeking spiritual nourishment. You wish to raise your gaze from the mundane, from the terrestrial, from the terrestrial sphere, and light your eyes upon the celestial the expanse of the sky and the stars and the sun and the moon and the majesty and mystery and inspiration found thereby. Indeed, speaking of the moon, you perhaps may notice that this podcast itself is being launched under the auspices of the brimming full moon. In the sidereal system used by ancient Indic teachers and wisdom keepers, the moon is brimming in the sign of cancer conjoined the nakshatra, the star, the asterism of Pusha, thought by the ancients to be perhaps the most auspicious of nakshatras. Its symbol is the cow's udder, a symbol of nourishment on physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual levels. Its deity is Briaspati, priest of the gods. Perhaps today is a fitting day for launching such an enterprise perhaps you will learn more about the ways in which you can commingle the wisdom of the ancients with navigating the modern western world until next time keep well keep listening keep contemplating and keep leveraging the power of ancient Indian wisdom teachings to ameliorate and illuminate your life, and those around you. Namaste.